from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. It's a conversation that we usually have every week. Uh, we've been on hiatus for a bit uh, at the uh, at the start of this pandemic. But we're back. We're back. It's a conversation that we have for the last six and a half years been having every week on all things related to work and the rest of life, your family, our community, your community, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. So glad that you are tuning in right now. I am the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and our leadership program here at the Wharton School. I want to tell you just briefly my uh, latest book, Parents Who Lead, just came out last month. It's available everywhere. And uh, my co-author and I, Alyssa Westring, we did not plan to write a book for a pandemic, but it turns out that what we wrote about in Parents Who Lead which is really a guide for working parents on how to lead together uh, to a better tomorrow. The ideas and methods that we describe in it are directly relevant to uh, so many of the issues that parents are facing right now. So uh, check it out. It's Parents Who Lead. And uh, we may get to talk a bit about that in the conversation today with my guest, who I am very excited to be uh, joining the show today. Let me just remind you before we get into it that new episodes of our show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM channel 132 and you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business as well as you can follow me at Stu Friedman. Well my guest today has written a book a really important book that some people have described as the lean-in for fathers, it's more than that. Lean In was uh, a very influential book about women's empowerment written by a woman, Cheryl Sandberg, uh, primarily addressing other women. What my guest today has done uh, is, a, is to compose a book about women's empowerment that is written to men. Women will benefit greatly from it as well, uh, but it's an important uh, connection to men who are, of course, crucial for the success of women in our society. Um, in spite of the progress that's been made, we still live in a world that is profoundly unequal with a massive gender pay gap, deeply ingrained gender stereotypes. And uh, I now have a new stake in this issue. I, I have two sons and a daughter uh, so I, I have been father to a daughter for 26 years, but now I'm also a grandfather to a daughter who was born less than a month ago in New York City, and uh, I haven't met her yet. My granddaughter lives in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I still haven't met her. We could talk for the whole hour in this show about that, but we're not going to. But um, I, I am going to be asking our guest uh, about what what role grandparents play in the whole father-daughter relationship. I am so delighted to welcome Michelle Travis to the show. Michelle's book is called Dads for Daughters, How Fathers Can Give Their Daughters a Better, Brighter, Fairer Future. It's a powerful and practical book that I urge you to pick up, especially now. Uh, because this time of quarantine, as, as Michelle says, and we're going to get into this momentarily, is, is really a, an opportunity uh, for fathers to, to become more engaged in shared parenting and become champions for gender equity. Michelle, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you, Stu. I'm so delighted to be here and have this opportunity to chat with you. Well, it's great to have you here. Let me just tell people a little bit more about you before we get into the conversation. Michelle Travis is a law professor at the University of San Francisco School of Law, where she serves as director of USF's Labor and Employment Law Program. She's an expert on employment discrimination law and serves as the co-director of USF's uh, Labor and Employment Law Program. Her research focuses on sex discrimination, 
gender stereotypes, work family conflict, and disability discrimination in the workplace, all topics that we care a lot about on this show. She uh, teaches courses on employment law, civil litigation, and has won multiple teaching awards. She's got a JD from Stanford Law School and an undergrad in psychology from Cornell University and is the author of an award-winning children's book, a picture book called My Mom Has Two Jobs, which celebrates working moms. Michelle, uh, we were you know, originally scheduled to speak before the pandemic hit. We're recording this uh, in, in late April 2020. Uh, and of course, the the world is turned upside down, uh, particularly the world of work and and home and their relationship for so many families. And we're going to get into your book and how you approach gender equity, discrimination, other work and life issues from both the legal as well as uh, an employment perspective. But first, I want to get into um, how the pandemic and the shuttering of so many businesses and schools has brought into even starker relief the ways in which our society is still so unequal to women and, and to uh, other groups who have been traditionally oppressed in our society. One of the things that we hear about and read about every single day uh, is uh, that in recent years, childcare has allowed women to enter and, and remain in the workforce. But now with both parents having to work remotely from home while trying to educate their children through virtual links to schools and all of this without childcare or neighborhood or grandparental support, the lion's share of the burden at home seems to be falling to women. Is this what you are seeing and hearing or are dads indeed stepping up now that they're perhaps more acutely aware of their children's needs? What, what's been your observation about what's happened these last couple of months? Yeah, I think this is exactly right. And the answer is really both of what you observed. I think the pandemic and the shelter in place and the massive loss of jobs and loss of childcare providers has both identified the fault lines that already exist between men and women and their um, security and their in the workplace and their ability to um, juggle all of these demands. But I think it has also um, presented an opportunity for us to make progress because it has made these fault lines more visible and it has placed a lot of fathers in a position to learn and to step up and to become engaged in ways that can really both in the short term and the immediate term and in the long term start um, moving us forward towards more gender equitable both workplace and home. And as you know, they're both so entwined. So let's dig in just a little bit further on that. Like what, what specifically have you seen or have you been thinking about with respect to how this moment creates an opportunity for a real shift in terms of men's roles at home? Yeah. So there's two, two big arenas that I'm seeing opportunities for the shift as you're describing for men. Um, men in general, dads and daughters in particular, um, to be stepping up into this role, to have this moment be moving us toward a place of more gender equity. One arena is in what I think of as parenting toward gender equity, and the other arena is in partnering towards gender equity. So the parenting toward gender equity piece is really now that men have more time um, both by necessity um, and by fortune to spend with their children, they can really start taking a very conscious, thoughtful look at how do I engage in my parenting work um, in ways that move us toward gender equity. So my biggest advice there, and I'm seeing dads doing this naturally, um, but can also be encouraged to do so to seize this opportunity, is to think about all these ways in which you're interacting with your children, daughters in particular, in ways that can disrupt gender role stereotypes. And that's important work, both as parenting and parenting towards gender equity. So an example would be mm -hmm. thinking about the time that you're spending with your daughter, both in the activities that you pick, the books that you're choosing to have available and read, the media that you're sharing together that might be particularly selected to help 
build interest and confidence in your daughter in STEM skills or in entrepreneurial skills, for example, things that we know um, society is sort of nudging girls away from. This is a moment where you have extra time in your parenting where you can actually think about how can I use parenting to have have conversations and activities and books and resources that um, allow my daughter to see herself as someone pursuing a STEM career or a business career or becoming a CEO. Um, that's one aspect of what I think about opportunity of parenting toward gender equity. And, and what about partnering? And the partnering piece we're, of it. We're all cooped um, up here uh, together 24-7, yeah. uh, no relief, no diversion. Uh, the intensity of, of our relationships is at a maximum beyond what we're accustomed to. Uh, so it really requires a kind of exquisite uh, sensitivity and conscientiousness about how to be compassionate, of course, starting with yourself, uh, but then with your, you know, your home unit, uh, the people that you are cohabiting with, so that you can remain uh, you know, the, the curious and collaborative person you want to be. Uh, what, what does your research and teaching and practice tell you about the, the sort of, you know, the, the microdynamics, if you could speak to this, of, of you know, seeing this opportunity now, this upended world as a, as a, as a way for men and women to perhaps nudge or maybe even reimagine, you know, the, the, uh, the power uh, structures that, that undergird their relationships and, and, and how to create a, a more fair and perhaps, you know, loving connection. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where um, my research really connects with the research in your new book, which gives um, individuals kind of a plan, a leadership plan for building these partnerships. Um, but my research has always indicated, even before the pandemic, that when we have more equal caregiving roles within the family, um, that enables more opportunities for gender equity in the workplace, right? For women to lean in in the workplace, we need men to be leaning in in that home caregiving role. And that really takes conscious partnering um, at home. And this is a perfect opportunity to do that, in part by necessity, because there were conversations that we didn't necessarily need to have before because we had child care in place. We had different components of our partnership available. Um, but now I'm hearing stories of men and women who have both been working um, for years and for the first time have actually sat down together out of necessity and said, what is our plan for balancing, for um, integrating our work demands and our family demands? How are we going to structure this? I will get the closed door from 9 to 1 while you're taking care of the kids. You will get the closed door office from 1 to 5. And then from 6 to 7, we'll have the grandparents on Zoom. And then, you know, and it's a, it's a planned opportunity to think about that. And this is something that for me is an exciting silver lining of this particular moment. Moment, um, because these are conversations that can really do some long-term equalizing work in thinking about the integration between caregiving and work, which really in the long run benefits uh, both men and women and businesses, quite frankly. Indeed. Uh, I want to remind listeners, it's work and life. Yes, we're back. Uh, broadcasting to you from my home. And for my guest, Michelle Travis's home in California, uh, we're on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132, and I'm Stu Friedman. Michelle Travis is the author of the wonderful, uh, very practical and uh, important book, Dads for Daughters, How Fathers Can Give Their Daughters a Better, Brighter, Fairer Future. Uh, that's great reading for fathers of daughters, especially, I'd say that's like the target market, but um, of course, anyone who cares about daughters in this world, um, about children more generally, I would say, uh, will benefit from its advice and its arguments. Um, so, you know, the, the pandemic times are causing us to, uh, you know, with the obliteration of the boundary between work and home, 
for so many of us that are fortunate to be able to work from home. Not everyone is, of course, many people have to get out of their homes and risk their health and, uh, and their you know, exposure to the virus. Uh, they can't afford to stay home and work from home, but m- most people are home a lot more than they used to be. And this is creating opportunities for partners in parenting, as, as we refer to them in, in Parents Who Lead in, in our book, uh, to, to, uh, to really confront more deliberately the allocation of, of responsibilities and yours, the example you just gave us is, is, a, is a good um, template for that. Of course, what, what most people find is that once you know, they set out a plan, you'll have this three hours, I'll have this three hours, and then together we'll do this two hours, that those plans usually don't work out. <laughs> and that what's necessary is an ongoing conversation, right? Yes. And so this is, I think, a starting point for what needs to be an ongoing conversation. And it's an ongoing conversation both uh, within the home in those partnerships um, about work-family integration and also a conversation that has to be ongoing with uh, your employers and your Mm -hmm. workplace. Um, And this is another opportunity for men in particular to be really learning firsthand about the challenges that that in the past have fallen more heavily on women in terms of doing this integration um, to start uh, understanding the need for workplace flexibility, flexible hours, remote working. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all the kinds of things that also give a space for ongoing conversation to both within your partnership in the home and also your partnership with your, with your workplace. Um, and I think you're absolutely correct. Thinking about it as um, ongoing conversation, I think about it as trial and error, right? Yes. We learn, we iterate, we iterate, um, we see what's working. Um, and as your, as your caregiving demands change, that's also going to change the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that a teenager is very different than a three-year-old, is very different from, as you know, your, your newest member of your family um, your grandchild, and so it has to be an ongoing conversation. Uh, and, and that, I think, is one of the, as you said, opportunities in this particular moment of time because we have an intense um, amount of time together, and this is a great place to start learning how do we navigate those conversations. Yes, experiments is the term that I use, trial and error, same, same concept. Uh, and it's, it's very helpful to, to use words like trial and error or let's just try this, let's experiment, because it makes it easier for people to be open to trying something if they know it's not going to be permanent. So let's, yeah. let's, let's try this arrangement. Let's see if it works for you, for me, for us, for our family, for our jobs, for our friends and extended family. And if it doesn't, we can always adjust. That, that's an empowering approach and I'm glad that you're affirming it. I, I want to talk more about your book. There's so much in here. Uh, first, let, let, let me ask, what inspired you as an attorney to focus on uh, the gender aspects of uh, labor and employment law? And, and how this issue of employment discrimination, gender stereotyping, how did it become something that you wanted to focus your time and immense talent on? Yes. And it's something that for me has both professional and personal um, ties and links and meaning. When I started out as an employment lawyer, I was advising companies, employers on legal compliance issues. But I found myself always wanting to dig deeper into the conversation, not just about how do you comply with the formal requirements of sex discrimination laws, but Also, how is it that we could maybe think about redesigning the workplace to get us to a more equitable space so that we don't have to be relying on laws as our tool, um, as a stick, right? And that led me to, as a law professor, really studying aspects beyond just discrimination laws to aspects that might be able to redesign the way we think about the workplace to fit better for a much wider range of workers. I started thinking about women as moms, um, but became much broader in thinking about workers as caregivers and workers as 
individuals who had fully integrated other lives and how do we redesign the workplace. So that got me studying things like uh, workplace flexibility, telecommuting, um, job sharing, part-time work, uh, flex time, and also things like paid family leave and paid uh, paternity leave, which I think are critical aspects of uh, workplace redesign. Um, what led me to my book was actually a frustration with really discovering the limitations of legal tools and uh, legal players in making progress in sort of the deep cultural structural way in the workplace that we need to. Um, laws are necessary to achieve gender equity, but certainly not sufficient. And talking with lawyers and judges and legislatures uh, made some progress, but for me, not enough. Um, so I really wanted to branch out and think about on the ground, what kind of conversations do we need to be having to create workplaces that work for everybody? Mm -hmm. And it's not clearly then a book that's just for lawyers. Who, who are you trying to reach and, and what are you hoping that people will see differently and, and then act differently based on what you what you write about in Dads for Daughters. Yeah. So my big picture goal for Dads for Daughters is really to help men and women find ways to build partnerships, help women find ways to engage men as allies and advocates for gender equity to help men understand why they have a stake as well in a more gender equitable workplace and home environment, that it actually benefits women and men alike. So those are the big picture goals. At the next level down is really to talk directly to fathers of daughters, who I think of as kind of our first line recruits for building partnerships toward gender equity. Um, and it's not that dads and daughters are the only men who have a stake in this issue. Of course, all men, I believe, have a stake in a more gender equitable world, which benefits men and women alike. And there are many men who are tremendous allies and leaders in advancing gender equity who do not have daughters in their life. So having a daughter is, is neither a necessary or sufficient component. Um, but the book so really focuses... It definitely helps. It definitely helps. It matters. What is the resistance that men feel and what's in it for them? Like, what is the, you know, the, the primary set of arguments, the top two or three issues that need to be addressed to, to get a greater number of men to feel committed to the cause of gender equity? Yeah, I think step one is two parts to your question. One is what's in it for men? And I think that is an important first question. So when we think about gender equity, we know that the business case for having gender diverse workplaces is incredibly strong. Gender diverse workplaces are financially more successful, they're more innovative, they are more responsive to a diverse customer base. Uh, so that clearly benefits everyone. Um, but at a more personal level, when we work towards gender equity, my starting place was thinking about advancing women's workplace equality, but when we work towards gender diversity, gender equity, what we're really doing is disrupting expected gender role stereotypes, right? Stereotypes of men as breadwinners, women as caregivers. And when we disrupt that, um, we are liberating both women and men. We're allowing men to be freed up from what's very constricting role stereotypes for men as well, um, allowing men to be engaged fathers without having to worry about the career stigma that attaches to that, without having to worry that that feels like non-masculine behavior, allowing men to be freed up to be uh, compassionate and empathetic and vulnerable. Um, so it works both ways. Um, so that's why we all have a stake in it. The second part of your question, Stu, was about, so what's the resistance? What is it that's keeping um, some men from diving into this conversation of gender equity and becoming advocates and allies towards gender diversity? And I will say that a recent study that I read said that 60% uh, of men will explicitly agree with the goal of gender equality, saying that's a good goal. But many, many of them don't know how to translate into that action yes. and don't know, yeah, right, don't know how to make that transition. Um, and some of the sources of resistance, I think, are um, fear. 
uh, Catalyst did a study recently asking men, what is your biggest barrier to jumping in to support gender equity? And 74% of men answered fear. What so where is this? Yeah, what are they afraid of? That's the question. Um, so a number of different things came out in this research. One is they're afraid of not having the right skill set to be able to work on issues of gender equality. They just don't know that they have the skills. One is fear about potentially making a misstep, saying something wrong, something that might be misperceived as sexist. And one is an issue that actually has become more acute in a post-MeToo world. Mm -hmm. MeToo, as we know, has done very important work empowering women's voices. But one of the um, inadvertent side effects of it is that more men are reporting concerns about jumping in to play mentoring roles, for example, yes. with women. And that's, you know, those are a lot of barriers that we need to talk about explicitly as we invite men into these conversations and recognize that there are um, understandable sources of resistance to full and engagement in these conversations. All right. We're, we're going to pick that important and, and really hot topic up after uh, we come back. How, how do we get men to feel uh, free to, uh, at, you know, without fear, engage in a supportive way of, uh, of women, particularly younger women who need mentoring from both men and women uh, in the business world? Yeah, that probably starts at home, those lessons, uh, but they go beyond uh, just, you know, the, the raising of daughters uh, and into the wider world. We'll pick that up and get into some of the specific advice you have for, for fathers that I'm going to be conveying uh, to my son now that he's got a daughter. And perhaps he can, uh, you know, be smarter about how to be the kind of father a daughter needs than I was. We'll get into that and more when we come back. Uh, don't go away. We'll be continuing the conversation with Michelle Travis, author of Dads for Daughters, when we come back. I am Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. So glad you're here. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. And my guest today is University of San Francisco law professor Michelle Travis, whose research focuses on sex discrimination, gender stereotypes, work-family conflict, disability discrimination in the workplace. We're talking about her wonderful new book. It's called Dads for Daughters, How Fathers Can Give Their Daughters a Better, Brighter, Fairer Future. And just before the break, we were talking about how to overcome the fear that many men have in the workplace, especially in uh, being the kind of supportive uh, mentor, coach, manager that, uh, that women, of course, and men both need, especially in the Me Too era. What's, what's your best advice on that, Michelle, in terms of how to, um, how to deal with those fears, which are not only prevalent, but I'm sure quite real. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the piece of the book that I think is important for women. Um, in building partnerships, I think the role that women have um, to overcome some of these barriers is, and this is going to sound very simple, um, but it's really important, which is it's our role as women to explicitly invite men into conversations about gender equity. And when I say invite men into the conversations too, I'm not talking metaphorically. I mean, literally find a male colleague and say, hey, I would love to have a conversation with you about gender equity and gender diversity in our workspace, why that matters, why we're all in this together. I would love to pick your brain about how we might be able to work together to benefit all of us in terms of workplace flexibility and thinking about work-life integration. Could we have a conversation? And that is a way that I think empowers men to say, 
I do have a role to play in this conversation. I've been invited into this conversation. And then as that conversation starts, the most important thing for both women and men in the conversation is to spend more time listening than talking, um, to really understand how our experience of the workplace might be different in different ways, um, learning why is it, one of the things I learned in this research talking to dads of daughters was, what are the specific reasons that men don't take their paternity leave when they have access to it, right? Um, listening to those conversations and having men do listening above uh, problem solving, that's what gets us started. How does, that, that makes perfect sense to, to, to take the initiative, for women to take the initiative to create a conversation with men about uh, their mutual interest in in forging, uh, you know, mentoring partnerships and other forms of collaboration. What what can both men and women do to deal with their, uh, uh, you know, anxieties about what might be a more difficult to discuss question. And that is, well, I'm concerned about, uh, you know, being in a, in a one-to-one mentoring relationship with you for fear that it might be construed as, uh, you know, a form of sexual uh, oppression or harassment. How, how do you talk about that in a way that is empowering of both parties to fully appreciate and uh, cultivate, uh, you know, mutually rewarding uh, relationship. And I think having that conversation, actually putting those concerns out on the table um, is step one. To say, if you're a man and you're having those anxieties, I would love to play this role, but I have to tell you, I'm feeling anxious about this because I'm concerned about perceptions, rightly or wrongly. Um, if you're a woman who's entering into these conversations, um, I think a really good way to do it is to say, hey, have you read the study from Lean In? Have you heard of the study from Lean In that has found that the number of uh, male managers who are afraid to mentor women in a post-MeToo world has more than tripled? Is that something that you're feeling or experiencing? Mm-hmm. Starting with a research-based um, fact, I think, is always a nice way to ground well, it. It normalizes it. It says this is normal. What you're feeling is something that many other people are feeling. So, yeah, I get it. it that, yeah. that helps to establish trust. I can certainly see that. But please continue. Absolutely. And establishing trust is the key, Stu. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that trust can be acknowledging the anxieties. And also maybe setting some ground rules, which is let's agree that we are going to um, uh, assume that we're coming from a good place, both of us, um, and that we're both going to make mistakes in different ways. And it's okay for us to call out each other on mistakes because we know that's part of it and this is a learning relationship. Um, If you're a uh, father of a daughter, one great way to do this is to say, hey, sometimes um, I might play my dad role, but, uh, you know, call me out when I'm doing that, when I'm being paternalistic. Um, Sometimes um, just acknowledging I don't have to ask my daughter to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't work. She has no no compunction about calling me out on those terms, but I'm sorry to interrupt. (laughs) Please continue. Which is actually a really, that means that you've done a great job, right? You've empowered her to be able to do that. Um, So I would take credit for that. No, I'm not going to take credit for that, (laughs) but thank you. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. So I think just being open about um, knowing that this is a two-way learning environment um, and knowing that, and saying right from the start, we are going to both make mistakes. We'll cut each other some, some slack, um, but we have a lot to learn from each other in this conversation. Um, so let's head it. Yeah, I, I'm glad we spent some time on this because I think that really is an important barrier that needs to be overcome in the current cultural, you know, political context. Uh, and, and it's good advice to be candid about your, your fears and to, uh, to, to try to address them head on and to be committed to continuing to address them um and that that requires considerable skill and sensitivity um because it, it can easily uh go awry and you and, and and either party can readily become 
you know, reluctant to continue for, for fear of, you know, there being a, a line that gets transgressed uh, and, and not really known by the other party or even by yourself. Uh, so it's, uh, it's tricky. It is tricky, and it takes a certain level level of vulnerability, yes. which um, is not something that we tend to cultivate as a leadership skill, right? So if you're seeking out mentorship from men in positions of power who are there because they have demonstrated successful leadership skills, we don't always think about um, vulnerability as one of those skills or empathy as those skills. So that is a tricky ask. Um, some um, researchers have found, particularly um, uh, Brad Johnson and David Smith, who have done some amazing work on male mentors, um, their book, Athena Rising, that at the end of this very tricky and often challenging relationship, men who have um, decided to commit to mentoring and sponsoring and advocating for women colleagues have reported that they learn um, sure. new skills as well. And part of that is learning how to be vulnerable. How to, part of that is learning how to listen, um, which turns out to be actually excellent leadership skills of at course. the end of the day. Yes, yeah. yes. No, it's, it's, it's central to the work that I do in teaching leadership from the point of view of the whole person, the heart of that work in my courses and offerings and organizations and in my books is is in dialogue with people who matter to you. And, uh, you know, the crux of that is to, is to be genuinely curious and compassionate about how other people see you. And to begin with, you know, here's what I think you see when you see me. Do I have it right? Uh, and that is, a, I have found, a very useful way for people to overcome their fears of becoming more open. Because the goal is mutual learning, better trust, and both of those are essential to uh, growth and leadership capacity and improved performance. Um, let me just remind listeners, we are um, talking here on Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I have the pleasure of speaking today with Michelle Travis, who's the author of Dads for Daughters, How Fathers Can Give Their Daughters a Better, Brighter, and Fairer Future. And I want to make sure we we turn our attention now to um, some of the highlights in your book of of what indeed fathers should be doing uh, with with their daughters. What what are some of the main uh, ideas for action that you want uh, listeners to know about and that they can become more knowledgeable about uh, when they pick up the book? So the book is written in a way that each different chapter highlights a different arena in which dads of daughters can take action. So some of it, you can kind of pick and choose which places seem um, relevant to you or your particular skill set. Um, so one chapter is about if you want to help advance gender equity in STEM, what are some steps you can take? Mm-hmm. One chapter is about if you want to advance gender equity in sports and athletics, what are some steps that you can take? Um, in the political arena, what steps that you take? Um, and so each chapter ends with um, each chapter includes stories of dads and daughters who are making an impact in that particular arena, and then it gives some advice um, about steps, both small and large, doable steps that you can take to um, move forward in that particular arena. So I might just use an example here because it yeah. kind of covers a wide range of, I don't know if there's a particular arena to in which you are most interested in, um, or I can just give no. one as an example. Yes, please. Yeah, great. So one of the chapters in the book, for example, is about if you're interested in um, advancing uh, equality in STEM, creating kind of more pipelines for girls and women into STEM. And the book looks at it both from the role that you might be able to play in your workplace. If you are in a tech field, um, you can start, for example, looking around and seeing, do I have a gender diverse workplace? And if not, what can I do to make that happen? Um, one great first question is to look around your workplace and ask yourself, if you're the dad of a daughter, would I want my daughter to be working here? Hmm. Do I think my daughter could become a leader in this workplace? And if the answer is no, that can lead you to some action. Hmm. Um, I want to share a story, just of one example of a father, one thing that they did. Um, the person that I'm thinking about is Greg Helmstetter, who's dad of a daughter. 
um, he was both thinking about how do I achieve greater um, equality in the workplace, but also was spending time just parenting, being an engaged dad. And he started seeing how these two things connected. Um, he, as an engaged dad, found himself spending a lot of time playing dolls with his daughter's, you know, Barbie time. And at first, just to make it a little more interesting for himself, he started instead of, you know, having them just change outfits, um, having stories woven into the Barbie time that were um, entrepreneurial or STEM related. So he would say, why don't we um, have the Barbies today um, create a business? What kind of business do you want to create? He would ask his daughter. And so they would have a little playtime where they started a business to sell dog food. Um, or they would have a design challenge. And he would ask his daughter, how would these Barbies solve this design challenge, which is an engineering task. And that ultimately resulted in him writing a book series called The Steam Team 5, which is available, um, great resource for other dads out there who want to just um, fill their daughter's world with images of girls who are engaged in um, STEM-related activities. Um, so the two go together. So it's important to, to create uh, models for girls so that they can see uh, you know, different paths forward uh, that aren't traditional and, and, and dads have a, a crucial role in creating uh, the opportunity for, for girls to see those models. Uh, you, you wrote about the Drink Daughter Water campaign. Uh, can you tell us uh, briefly about that? Yeah, so the Drinking the Daughter Water campaign um, was uh, a campaign that was actually launched by a governmental agency in Australia. And the goal was to actually start making progress on the gender pay gap. And what this agency had found was that um, as much work as they had put in to try to convince business leaders to dig into the issue of the gender pay gap, to really start doing internal workplace audits to figure out um, where is the gap, how can we start making progress to close the gap, um, they weren't really catching the attention of male CEOs to okay. dig into this issue. Um, and so they read some of the studies we were talking about a few minutes ago, studies showing that um, dads and daughters tend to be more forward-thinking about um, supporting equal pay, for example. And so they created this fake product called Daughter Water, sent it out to all the CEOs of the businesses in Australia, and they asked the CEOs basically, could you drink this daughter water so that you become more attentive to um, have, if you had daughters or imagining having daughters in your life, you would become more attentive to um, the gender pay gap. And it was really gimmicky in a sense, right? You know, it's a funny product. The idea was, well, maybe we could get at this if every CEO had a daughter. The daughter water was supposed to help you conceive more daughters in your life. Um, so very gimmicky, but it did catch the attention of male CEOs who made a connection to the world they wanted for their daughters, for their daughters to enter into, and their leadership role in the workplace. And it prompted a very large percentage of the male CEOs to actually dig in and take concrete action by doing gender pay audits in their company um, and taking steps to close the gender pay gap. So we now have this phrase that shows up in the Urban Dictionary now, drinking the daughter water, which refers to some of the things we've been talking about intuitively, knowing that having a daughter for men changes the lens through which we look at the world and can well position men to become leaders in advancing gender equity, right? The idea of drinking the daughter water is um, trying to advance equity on behalf of your daughter to create the world that you want your daughter to be entering into. No, I thought it was a very clever campaign. Yeah, uh, I could see how that would catch fire um, and, uh, and help to ignite uh, more, more interest, more engagement, and just thinking about what does it take for us to make the kinds of adjustments that make the world a, a more fair one, a more open one for, for women, and of course, for men too. So um, my granddaughter is a month old tomorrow, and her father is my son, he's 32, uh, and as, uh, as a millennial, he 
uh, like so many of his peers, are men who have a different perspective on what it means to be a man, what it means to be both a caregiver and a breadwinner, how to you know, live an egalitarian life with their partner. Um, and, and yet, of course, you know, he's also the object of all kinds of social cues and, uh, and, you know, implicit cultural messages that have shaped his understanding of girls and boys. And so he's got this, this precious daughter now. What, what's the most important thing for him and people like him, people who are just starting out on the parenting of daughter's journey, what do they need to know? So I think first and foremost is to be open to following where your daughter's interests and your daughter's desires are taking her, mm -hmm. right? To in some ways follow instead of lead, um, which allows I think girls to, and boys as well, it's the same thing in the reverse direction for sons, right? Um, we don't start out, we're not born into this world with set gender roles, we learn them. Um, and so as a parent, to watch where your children want to go mm -hmm. and follow their lead, I think is a really important um, and, and more difficult task than it sounds because we, as a parent, we want to um, set the path, right? We want to build the path for them. Um, but sometimes we want to maybe start by watching what path do they want to take before we start building uh, for them. I think that's a really important one. And I think the second piece is to... Let's hold on to that, yeah. though, Michelle. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Because yeah, you have a question. For me, you know, having tried to raise three children, what I've found is the hardest part of that whole enterprise is to overcome your own, you know, uh, biases and preferences for what you want your children to be uh, and how you want them to evolve when, of course, you know, your, your desires have probably not all that much relevance or impact on what they want and how they are going to live. So uh, if you could just go a little further on what, what one has to do, particularly with respect to fathers and daughters, to overcome those implicit um, biases that everyone has. Yes, and I'm glad you paused on this too because it's easy to say, but it is very, very difficult to do. I know. Um, it particularly as an engaged parent where your goal is to nurture, right? Your goal is to provide opportunities. Um, and I think with respect to dads of daughters in particular, there's an additional layer on top of the ones that you described so eloquently, which is a sense of being protective. Um, that is sort of ingrained naturally in from our society. We've learned that we should also be protective. Um, and that can also be actually quite limiting in the opportunities that we might be opening up our children to. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the best ways to, to get at this um, difficult challenge is to think about providing the widest range of opportunities of experience and exposure mm -hmm. to both your daughters and your sons um, in ways that um, might cross over uh, your expectations that we might hold and have learned. Um, so, for example, um, if thinking about what I'd like to do is go build something in the backyard right now while we're at shelter in place. Um, that's a task you can do with your daughter just as well as your son, for example. Mm -hmm. I want to go shoot some baskets. That's a task you can do with your daughter as well as your son. Mm -hmm. um, I want to bake something. That's a task you can do with your son as well as your daughter. Um, and so just opening up opportunities, thinking broadly, um, exposing both of your daughters and sons to a wide range of um, uh, role models in different arenas um, so that they're making, I think, informed choices that are a little less directed either by us as parents or um, by society's expectations more generally. But it's a tough thing. It's a really difficult thing. To follow their lead, right? And, 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 and it might be in a direction that is counter to your interest in a more progressive egalitarian world, 
no, dad, I just want to raise babies and sit, you know, barefoot in the kitchen and do laundry the rest of my life. Sorry. <laughs> that could happen, right? Yes. What do you do yes. then? And I think it's I think in some ways that's the toughest role for um, individuals like us who are thinking about especially issues with work-family integration. Um, but when I hear things like that, one of the things that I remind myself is that um, my ultimate goal in my work is really to have a world in which um, we have unconstrained choices and options. So if that is the choice and option that someone wants to pick, fully unconstrained, um, then we should celebrate that, right? And when I say fully unconstrained, right now it's hard to know whether choices are truly meeting someone's uh, desire, I want to stay at home, I want to work and not have kids, um, if we don't have structures in place that enable you to make other choices, if we don't have part-time work that can actually uh, allow you to make a living, if we don't have childcare facilities, right, um, then we don't know if those choices that you're describing are true, right, at your heart choices, right, because they're constrained. So um, my goal is to sort of create a world in which we support the range of work-family integration choices, all the way from wanting to spend full time at home to, at the other end, not wanting to be a parent and everything in between. Um, and so that's what I keep reminding myself. But it is tough when... Um, when things, you know, yeah, you're, what you're kind of aligning and working toward is in the opposite direction of your children. So, Which yeah, I think in, in your terms, leadership, leadership sometimes means um, following, which is tough. Well, it, it means creating freedom for other freedom. people to mm -hmm. pursue the mm -hmm. lives that they truly want. And, and mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's a goal that we both share. Uh, Michelle, yeah. we're going to have to wrap it here. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show today where can listeners find uh more about your book and and the other work that you're doing thank you Stu. it's been such a pleasure to chat with you and again congratulations on your book parents who lead it's a fantastic resource so folks can reach out to me the best place to find me is my website michelletravis.net and there you can find information about my work as both a law professor and um, my book, Dads for Daughters, um, and my children's book as well, michelletravis.net. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on the show today. Don't forget, uh, it's 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays that we uh, air the show in its premiere. And if you have a question about something you heard on the show, you can just email me. I'm friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or our station, which is business radio at SiriusXM.com, and you can follow on twitter at sxm business i'm at Stu friedman you can also find me on linkedin and you can get free uh podcast versions of this show uh in a week or so on work and life podcast.com thanks patty hall for producing the show dion simpkins for engineering and again thank you for listening i'm Stu friedman it's Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.